Brother Jeff Harris, almost the first words out of his mouth in his prayer were something like, thank you, Lord, for the privilege of your church and assembling together as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then Brother Isaac asked me, do you have a song you want to sing before we preach? For the life of me, I could not remember the first words to glorious things of the earth spoken. That's what I wanted to sing. So we sang, we're marching design. That was really good too. Went out to use the restroom. I came back and lo and behold, y'all were singing glorious things of the earth spoken. Somebody else called it. So almost from the moment that Brother Isaac uh, asked me to come preach, I had a subject land on me heavily and I kept praying, Lord, if this isn't right, redirect me. And he never did. And that subject is the church. That's what I intend to do all weekend. And let me tell you, it's not enough time. I have way too much material. There's so much more here than I can cover even in four sermons. But we're going to start at the beginning. Because there is a first time in the book that the word is used. There's a very first time. Uh, And if you know anything about the scripture, then you know that oftentimes the first times are important. They're not more important or more God's word than any of the other times, but they're important in a particular way, usually. I think the same is true here, because in fact, what we find is the very first time the word is used, the Lord Jesus Christ himself is the one that uses it. It's in Matthew 16. This is, of course, when he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's the first time you find this word. Jesus introduces the concept. But this scene where Jesus says that begins very clearly in verse 13, the beginning of a scene. And we're going to start there because the beginning begins before he first introduces that word. Matthew 16, 13, when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men say that I, the son of man am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? This is the context of the first time that the word church is used in the Bible. The beginning, the beginning is a question about a person. The beginning is a person. The question is, who do you say that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is? Who do you say that Jesus Christ is? Who do you say that Jesus is? See, there was this man, nobody that I know of really disputes the fact that there was a man Looked like you and me. In fact, he didn't even look as nice as many of us. He looked like everybody else. His name was Jesus. He came from Nazareth, which was kind of the armpit of the region. He wasn't anything special. He was not anything special to look at. In fact, he was a little bit less than special. He he was a little subpar as human beings go and as far as where they come from, right? He didn't come from a special place. He was just the son of a carpenter. They were very, very poor. We know that because when they went to sacrifice, they offered the very poorest offering that you could offer. And he wasn't the first Jew named Jesus, by the way. That name is so precious to us, and it should be. But it was not a special name to them. Joshua is the same name. It's just another guy named Jesus. But you and I know that he was not just another guy named Jesus. 
And here he asks Peter, he challenges them with a question, whom do you say that I am? And Peter, I love Peter's answer because he doesn't say, well, I think, or, you know, we're, we're sure this is true. I know some people, there's no equivocation. Peter just says, so Peter, thou art, thou art. He just declares it. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You know, there is a time for us to just say what is true and not apologize for it and not fluff around it and not beat around the bush. Thou art the Christ. I know you may have a different opinion than me, but no, no, no. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Whom say ye that I am? What Peter says here is so important. What Peter says here is the profession of faith. It is the supreme evidence that you are a child of God. In fact, what Jesus tells Peter is, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, just as an aside, why does he say Barjona? He's the son of Jonah. Okay, he calls him Peter and Simon all through the scripture. And here he says, Simon, he says who his father is. Why does that matter? I don't think any words are wasted here. I think he's pointing to his humanity. Blessed art thou, Simon, son of a man. You know, this Jesus who's speaking was not the son of a man. He was born of a woman. He was not born of a man. He was not like all the other human beings in that way. Peter is just a flesh and blood sinner. And Jesus says, you are blessed, blessed, because flesh and blood hath not revealed that to you, but my Father which is in heaven. Peter, you are blessed because you cannot recognize me. You can't even know that unless God himself revealed it to you. You know, in the Gospel of John, it says, it says the world was made by him but the world knew him not. That's crazy. That makes no sense at all. Here the creator is walking around and they don't even know who he is. You cannot even recognize him for who he is unless God himself opens your eyes to see him for who he is. And so Jesus says, you're blessed, Peter. You're blessed because flesh and blood hasn't revealed that to you, but my father, which is in heaven, this declaration, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. I say this is the profession of faith. In 1 John 5, 1, he says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, that man, Jesus, you notice over and over in the scripture in Acts, they'll say Jesus of Nazareth. They're identifying him, not that Jesus, this one, the one from Nazareth, that man is the Christ. John says, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you truly believe that Jesus is the Christ, if you can see that's who he is and you believe that's who he is, only God could have shown that to you. You're born of God. Do you notice he doesn't say, whosoever, whosoever has real warm, fuzzy feelings about Christ? That's not the profession of faith. So in part, I'm speaking to you sinners. Sometimes you're, you're beat down. Sometimes you think, I, I'm so messed up. How could he even have come for me? You know, I know he's the son of God, but I'm not sure he came for me. You know what? Saying, I know he is the son of God, that means he came for you. Because you can't know that unless he showed it to you. That's what John is talking about. Same thing with Philip and the eunuch. If the eunuch wanted to be baptized, Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. That's what Philip said. What the eunuch says is, what does he believe? I believe that Jesus is the son of God. And he says, great, get in the water. You're born again. 
This is the great profession. And even we here today who have already made that, who can, who can answer sincerely from our heart to that question, yes, I do believe Jesus is the Son of God. We've got to, listen, if you really sit down and ask yourself that question, it will still be challenging to you today. Because the implications of that are, if He is the Son of God, He is Lord. He is the one who created. He is the Lord of everything and everyone, including me and my heart, and not just for 23 hours out of the day, all 24 not just for 59 minutes out of every hour, 60. So even those of you who have professed this a long time ago, we must still challenge ourselves with this. Who do you say that he is? You've got to say he is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if you do, then you are saying he is my Lord. Over Well over 100 times in the Scripture, that little word Lord, you know, if you go look in a concordance as a kid, I remember going and looking in a Strong's concordance. Now we don't do that because we have phones and stuff, but you're looking at Strong's concordance. And I thought it was fun to find the ones that just cover pages and pages and pages, you know, the and, 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 uh, or God, you know, Lord. And there's just pages of them. Lord is one of those. And what I love is that you find starting in the book of Acts, these men, these believers, they loved to say Lord. It's Lord Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Or they'll just say the Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus. They love to say it. They delight in that truth. He is Lord. Peter says this is true. And what Jesus says to him in response, first he says, you are blessed because you can see this. But it's in this context then, then Jesus introduces this new word. Thou art Peter. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Son of God, the Almighty Creator of the earth, our Redeemer, He says, I'm going to build something. Now, we treasure and value and stand in awe of many things in this world that certain men have built because they built them. The Guggenheim Museum, right? There are architects who have built things. And now that they're dead and gone, those things they have built are, are so valuable to our culture. Or the Sistine Chapel. The Sistine Chapel is special. Michelangelo didn't build it, but he, he painted the ceiling. That thing matters because of who painted it. Those buildings matter because of who built them. Jesus says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build something, and it's called the church. The church. And by the way, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this tonight. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. However you want to, whatever nuance of interpretation you want to put on that, what it means is this thing that he calls the church wins. Nothing, the gates, the very strength of hell, it wins and it will last forever. Okay, that, that's it. Let's leave that. What is church? What does it mean? The word, the Greek word is ekklesia. It means an assembly. It means an assembly. There are three times, uh, I believe the only three times it's not translated church. Three times in Acts 19, three times it's just, it's in that chapter used to describe a group of people. It's an assembling of people. It's a group of people gathered together in a particular place at a particular time 
with a common purpose. That's what assembly meant. Nobody in that day would have batted an eye. Common word, very common word, about as common as the word meeting at work for me. I have meetings all the time. That's, that's what, it's a very common word. It means an assembly. Jesus says, I'm going to build something. I'm going to build an assembly. Everywhere else in the scripture, it's translated church. And it's used in a couple of different ways. One way we see it used is in Ephesians chapter 5, where he says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Even as Christ loved the the church and gave himself for it. Well, Grace Chapel is a church, is, is church. I come from, it's really Mount Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We call it Midland Chapel Primitive Baptist Church. Many other people are here from other churches. So when he says Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, which one does he mean? Which one? Just Grace Chapel and not the others? Well, no, of course. Here, clearly, he means all the elect family of God. All of his children are included in this statement that he gave himself for the church. And yet, in 3 John chapter 10, we find a guy named Diotrephes who is casting people out of the church. Now, does that mean that he is making people not children of God anymore? Of course, it doesn't. We find in multiple places references to churches that meet in people's houses. Priscilla and Aquila and the church that is in their house. Or my favorite one, uh, Gaius. Paul says, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church. <laughs> right? Is that, that everybody, past, present, and who, who hasn't been born? Is that the whole church? Of course not. And far and away, the most common use of that word in the scripture is talking about a group of people, like the one here, that are in one place, in time, that you can touch and see and hear and harmonize with and fellowship with. Most of the examples of the word are, are like that. That's why we, we find uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, 23, he says, if therefore the whole church be gathered together in one place, the whole church, the, the whole family, well, no, God, that church, the church at Thessalonica, the church at Laodicea, the church at Smyrna. That's what happens in Revelation, isn't it? We see the Lord is calling out seven distinct churches, the church at here and the church at there. And he has different messages for them. They're not the same group of people because they've got different things going on. Churches. So what's going on there? Which one is it? Of course it's both. Of course it means both. And yet, there in Ephesians, when he says that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, he doesn't say loved his people. That's true. Matthew one twenty one, He shall save his people from their sins. His people, his sheep. Lots of options there to plug in. But Paul says church, assembly, even when he's talking about all of them. There is an assembly coming. Someday, 
we will all be assembled. We will all be together in one place at one time for the highest purpose that there is to love God, to glorify Him, and to enjoy Him forever. We will be. And you know, I I got this... I was recently blessed by this new way of thinking about death because, you know, to us it kind of feels like everybody's going down. We're losing them right and left. And and we're trending downward, right? People are just dropping like flies. They're dying all over and it feels like you're going down. But you know, from heaven's perspective, that's an up. The assembly in heaven has already begun. It isn't complete yet. You see, it isn't the whole assembly yet. But that is the assembly that we're all headed Four, and the ranks are growing toward a predefined completion when we will all be assembled together. Jesus in John 17 prays to the Father. (laughs) Sweet words. He says, I will. Now, this is not him saying, I wish. This is like I'm making a decree. He says, I want something. I will that this be so. I will that they which thou hast given me be with me where I am. Now he's with us right now, isn't he? He is and he isn't. Because you know what? Right now, Jesus Christ is in a body just like yours and mine. Well, not quite like yours and mine. We've got some extra stuff going on that we're going to lose, thankfully. But it is a human body right now. Do you know why in in the beginning of Acts, when he ascends... It says they gazed on him. It's like Jesus said, keep your eyes here. I want you to know there are no tricks going on. And they watched him and he lifted off the ground. I mean, in a body, he just levitated into the air until they couldn't see him anymore. Why? Because that body he took to heaven and he's there now taking up space. (laughs) He is. And he says, I will that they be with me where I am. It matters to him that they be with him, assembled. In Hebrews 12, 23, one of the places where we see this kind of big idea of church, he says, you are come to the general assembly. That word, as an aside, isn't actually the word ecclesia, but he says that the general assembly, that word is a Greek word that starts with the preface pan, all, every, the general assembly and church of the firstborn. We are come to that church, even right now, even though we're not there yet. Well, how does that work? The scripture does this in some other places, doesn't he? What about Paul saying, you are glorified? And I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at you thinking, I don't think I'm quite glorified. Paul, I'm sorry. If this is what glorified looks like, I'm a little disappointed. And what he means is, it is so certain, it is so sure that he can already say you're glorified. You know, the scripture says that he has put all things under the feet of Jesus Christ, all things. And then he says, and yet we see not yet all things. We see not yet all things put under him. It is not manifest in time right now in every way that all things are put under him, but they are. And there is coming a time when they will be manifestly so. God is not content with just fuzzy, invisible truisms. All things will be manifestly in the eyes of every human being that has ever existed. All things will be put under his feet. And yet we don't see it that way now. 
And he says, we, we are come to that assembly. We're already part. Your ticket is punched. You know, have you ever seen, maybe you've experienced this or seen in a movie or something like that, or know someone who has been worked very hard to get into a particular maybe university that has very stringent requirements, right? And they've tested and they've slaved and they've taken the tests. And one day they walk in waving papers and they say, I'm in, I made it, I'm in, I made it. Well, no, they're not, they aren't yet. They're not there yet, right? What are they talking about? They're in. They've got the papers that prove that they belong. They belong. You and I belong to that assembly that is currently assembling and they are really assembling. I hope you may get tired of me hearing me say that word, but it's important. My mother-in-law, Lynn Bruce, is not floating in a semi-conscious state on a little cloud of her own up there right now. She's assembled with her dad, Sonny Piles, and with brother Pat, brother Tony, and sister Patty, and brother Richard Creekmore, and sister Laura. They are assembled now. And, but you know what? Even that assembly is not yet complete because you know what? They don't have their bodies yet. We get to all do that together. You know, that's what he says in 1 Thessalonians. I, I may not get there. I won't turn there. What he says in 1 Thessalonians is that when Christ comes back, we all get to do that whole glorified body thing together. That's really fun. We all get to do that together. And then, you know what? We will all be in bodies assembled together in the same Place forever. <clears throat> we belong to that assembly right now, just as surely as we are glorified, and just as surely as all things are put under the feet of Jesus Christ, we belong to it now. So, so what's going on with all these references to churches? Churches. God in his, in his goodness and in his wisdom has given us a way even here and now in this broken and fractured world where we can't all be together in the same place at the same time all the time. He has given us a way to, to taste, to foretaste, to experience, to participate in that assembly right now. And he's done that with what we call the, the local church, the church. The, the church, each particular body, the church at Smyrna, the church at Laodicea, the church at Colossae, the church at Ephesus, the church at Grace Chapel, the church at Met, each one is a perfect little microcosm of what we're going to experience in whole and completion there one day. That's what God in his goodness has given us now to participate in. It is a great, it is a calling and a great privilege and a joy to be part of his church. I mean, the one that you can see. Now, let me, let me just say this. The scripture uses word, the word in that way in Ephesians 5. He gave himself for it. And from that has, has come terms that I understand, I get it, like invisible church, the invisible church, that that's the invisible church. I'm not going to pick a real big bone with that, but I don't love it. And, and here's why. Because that, that is not the intent here. God's intent is not to just have this big invisible church forever. God's intent is that the invisible church become visible. Even then, it'll be visible. I'm telling you, Jesus Christ is there in a body and we're all going to be with him 
assembled in a visible church. Right now we do that in our own place, in our own church. And and I just say this, I'm not you know, I'm not trying to pick a real bone with that, but the danger in that language is the idea that I'm part of the invisible church, so why do I need to be part of Grace Chapel or the church at Pearl, Mississippi? Or why do I need to go to a local church? I'm part of the invisible church. You see, that's not that's not God's intent. You see that? That's why far and away in the scripture what you find when you read the word church is a group of people that you can reach out and touch and that you actually get together with to worship and serve God because that's God's intent. You're picturing what will be true. Okay. Flesh and blood humans will be visibly assembled in heaven. And so flesh and blood humans are visibly assembling right now. That's what we do. There's nothing vaguer and visible about the body of Jesus Christ in heaven, y'all. You are going to put your head on the bosom of a man, just like John did. I'm telling you, that's how real that is. So what we're doing down here is real because that is real. How important, how important is the, how important is this thing to Jesus? How important is it? You know, Jesus is um, depicted in a lot of the classical art as kind of a kind of effeminate. I can understand why, because really, because as you read the New Testament, what you find is that Christ is, he is gentle. He doesn't move with great haste or violence, right? He doesn't punch people when they say mean things to him. Now, he has some really harsh, clear words for certain people. He will absolutely speak things that will, that will knock the legs out from under um, hypocrisy. But you don't see Jesus as, as, this, as this above man of action, do you? You don't. But one time, one time, y'all, Jesus Christ got violent. That's the only word for it. He moved his body in violent action. And it was when he saw the house of God being disrespected and used and the people who were going to the house of God to worship being taken advantage of. You know what Jesus did? I'm not even going to turn there. You remember the story. It said he didn't lose his temper like he was out of control because he went out and made a whip. That's what the Bible says. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild, he went out and he made a whip. And then he went into the temple and he literally, you know, let's just, can we laugh for a moment? This is for real. We, we laugh sometimes. We make this motion, don't we? When we're kind of pretending to be upset because we're flipping tables, right? I don't want to play this game anymore. We just flip the table and everything goes flying. It's real violent, crazy. Jesus did that. Literally walked into the temple and started flipping tables. And he didn't make the whip to look pretty. He made the whip to use it. It says he drove them out of the temple. And he says, my father's house is a house of prayer and you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus felt pretty strongly about the house of God, the place where people assembled to worship God. So much so 
he started flipping tables, scattering money, and hitting people with a whip. Here in our text, he says about the church, it is my, my church. You know, that's actually the only time that phrase is used. I mean, the, the truth of it is all through the scripture, of course. But that particular, those two words together, my church, are right here the very first time he brings up the idea. He says, it's my church. And I think at the same time he's saying, it's my church, like you would say, this is my house. Like, you don't come to my house and beat us in basketball. I don't know, that's how we use it, right? This is my house, right? It's possessive. My church. But it's also a term of great endearment, isn't it? My church. It's mine. Like I'll say about my children, I'll think it, you know, sometimes. Yeah, my children. My little, my, my baby girl born in March, she's just I mean, she's perfect. She's cute as she can be. And of course, I know when people look at her, they're going to gush over her and I'm ready for it. You know, yeah, that's my baby, right? That's what Jesus is saying. This is my church. Don't mess with it. Also, it's my church. It's a church that I love. So this weekend, three more sermons. The plan is that, that I'll be preaching. I want to continue this and talk about the church as so tonight it's, it's the beginning right it's the very beginning I've got some i've got some bees for you some alliteration it's the beginning we're going to talk about the church as uh the church as a building the church as the bride and the church as the body of christ and something interesting about those three is that there's a progression of intimacy actually isn't there my house. Well, what is a house? That's where I live. Y'all, what, what is your house? God's using words we know so that we can wrap our heads around this. God's house is his home base of opera. It's where he lives. It's where he dwells. That's a better word, isn't it? Because we live and breathe anywhere, but these old, older words we don't use as much. It's where he dwells, his house. That's good enough. But then he says, it's my bride. Pretty intimate. <laughs> my bride. And if you think it can't get more intimate than that, then he says, it's my body, my very flesh and blood, he says. The church is my body. So my intent is to look at each of those in succession this weekend. How important is it? Think about the man with the pearl and great price. I'm going to read some Psalms here in a moment and then and, and close. The man who went to purchase the pearl of great price, he just wanted to possess it. You see, he wasn't buying it because he knew he could get a, a make a little money off of it elsewhere. He sold everything that he had to possess the pearl in and of itself. It was the end. So I'm saying to you tonight, and I hope this weekend that it starts to sink in, sell it all. Sell it all. Sell it all to gain the kingdom of God. And you know how you enter into that assembly now? The local assembly, your church, where you can touch and feel and, and smell <laughs> and hear and harmonize with and hug. Can't do that on Zoom, can you? You can see people, you can harmonize with them. You can't hug them. You can't touch them like you're going to Jesus Christ, like John did. That's how you do that. Let me just read you a few quick verses from Psalms and I'm going to sit down. 
Brother Timothy quoted this one this morning. David said, One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord. Is the church important to Christ? He says, The beauty of the Lord. That's where you'll see it. Isaiah 63. My soul thirsts for thee. My flesh longeth for thee. What? What does he want? To see thy power and thy glory. We all want to see that, don't we? But then he says, As I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David says, I've seen your power and your glory in the sanctuary in a special way. And that is what I crave. That is what I long for. Psalm 50, verse 2. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God hath shined. I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Psalm 132, 13. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. The Lord loveth the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. The Lord loves you in your house when you go there tonight. He loves your dwelling. You live there, but he loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Psalm 87, 5 of Zion, it shall be said, this and that man was born in her and the highest himself shall establish her. The highest himself shall establish her. There is something glorious happening right here at 815 in Memphis, Tennessee. In this place, there is something more glorious happening right here than in any other place in the world. You will not find it anywhere else. The church is special. The church is unique. The church is his only chosen bride. And Jesus doesn't double time and he doesn't cheat. His one, his only one, his lovely one. And you're there participating in what will be a really good day, won't it? A really good day when we're all there in the same place at the same time forever. And we don't have to do what we're going to have to do, you know, tomorrow and Sunday and part. We won't have to. We'll be there with him forever. God bless you.